0: Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Center and Clear Podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear Podcast. I'm Ned Aiken, your host. I have with me today uh, John Aiken and Josh Redberg as we start a new sort of series with Christ Center and Clear, looking at hard passages. And so today we're going to look at uh, the story of Judah and Tamar, uh, Genesis chapter 38. And so guys, uh, you guys ready to jump in? Absolutely. Hey, John, just give us quick a summary for people in the car that may just be a little bit unfamiliar with the story. Give a quick summary of what happens in Genesis 38.
1: Yeah. So um, Judah marries a Canaanite, and then he takes a pagan wife named Tamar for his first son. So his... He gives uh, his first son a um, this this woman named Tamar, and Judah's son died under God's judgment. Uh, as, but there's you know concern in Genesis three about offspring, and so Tamar in that day and age, you know passed down to the second son. So Tamar is married to the second son, um, Onan, which is an is an interesting story in and of itself. New. That the offspring, that any offspring that he produced with Tamar would not be counted to him, but to the to Judah's firstborn son. Uh, So because of that, he uh, just say refuses to get her pregnant. Okay, it's one of those it's one of those passages when you read it, all the the twelve year old boys laugh and giggle about it, Um, you know. But then God kills him too. That's when I guess the laughing should stop at that point. (laughs) And so Judah doesn't want his third son to die. So he lies to Tamar about waiting to, to marry her to his third son, but he has no real intention uh, you know, to give him to her as a husband. Well, <laughs> fast forward, um, you know, Tamar has been wronged. And so basically what happens is she disguises herself as a prostitute. And Judah ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law Tamar um, when he thinks she's a prostitute. She gets pregnant, and this causes a huge scandal. Judah admits uh, that he was he was wrong in what he had done, and then um, you know she has she has twins uh, that come out. Uh, it's very there's some parallels between the uh, um, the um, Isaac and the Esau story. And, um, but yeah, she has these, these two twins and that's the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm.
2: Hey, Josh, have you preached this text? I did preach this text. Um, it was one of those decisions I made and then the week came and I remember distinctly <laughs> coming out of my office and saying to my wife, like, what was I thinking? So <laughs> here's how I preached it. I preached this part of an Advent series. So nothing says no. <laughs> Christmas more than the story of Judah and Tamar. So I did an Advent series like the women in the genealogy, um, in Matthew's genealogy, which actually, after it's done, it's actually a great Advent series. I'd recommend it uh, five weeks leading up Mm. to it. But I just remember like, I thought it was a great idea. I was, you know, looking forward to it. And then, you know, you spend that day and you're reading, you're making notes. And I just remember walking out going like this, 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 this was a poor decision, but you got to run with it. But by the end, I was excited to preach it, but it took a little while. And let me
1: say this too, I uh, smoothed over some of the rough edges of the story in my summary. So (laughs) I I can get why at Christmas, this would not be, this would not be a Hallmark movie. Okay. Cause I mean, she, there's prostitution involved. Then when she's found to be pregnant and immoral, Judah says, burn her to death. When they're like, you're the man. He's like, oh, because she's more righteous than I. And then even the birth of the kids, the the one son that's in the line of the Messiah, there's this whole imagery of the one son putting his hand out first and a scarlet cord being tied around and then drawing it back and the other one being born uh, ahead Mm of the other. So it's just like there's just some really graphic stuff going on. So,
2: John, I don't watch a lot of Hallmark (laughs) Christmas movies, but are you saying most don't have prostitution and executions? (laughs) And other graphic <laughs> things as part of them?
1: I, as a confession, I will admit, I have not watched a Hallmark Christian Christmas movie. I'm just assuming it's probably a safe, that it's not in there. Pretty safe assumption. But, but but
0: most of the classics, even like Ernest Saves Christmas, doesn't have that either. So th- this <laughs> is more, a, a, more like
2: Die Hard as a Christmas movie, yeah. You know, which Maybe, it is. Die Hard may be tame it is, as absolutely. a Christmas movie compared yeah, to this. Exactly.
0: Okay, well, y'all have also already obviously kind of hit on why this would be the first one we'd look at in a kind of hard text series. But any more elaboration on kind of what's you know sticky in the text as
2: far as even some textual issues, but just why why would we start here? I think one of the tough parts to do is how at the end it's said that like he he responds when he finds out when Judy refi- finds out it's Tamar, he responds by saying that she was more righteous than he was. Mm. And I think that's a hard part. How do you wrap your mind around that? She's declared righteous when she dressed up as a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law. Like normally that's not seen as righteous. So I think that's one of the really tough parts of this passage.
1: Mm. I'm going to come back and ask you about that in just a second. John comments there. Uh, no, that, that is one of the real sticky parts. Uh, and that, and that's, honestly part of a lot of old testament passages that are descriptive of things that happened they're not necessarily prescriptive but they're they're telling you what's happened and there's a lot of there's a lot of messy life type stuff in the old testament and it, mm. which is really helpful because we grow up seeing this in terms of like cartoon bible pictures and so forth and and there's heroes and there's villains and but these are very complicated people just like mm-hmm. us and and the good news is God obviously can still use sinners and their brokenness and we're going to we're going to see how that happens even in this story so yeah i mm-hmm. no other real textual issues I, i'll just say um there is in terms of the placement of here you have it's a, it's a pause in the story of joseph um and so you know the the joseph the Joseph narrative has has started in chapter thirty seven, and then there's a pause here to go with Judah, and then thirty nine, and and really the rest of the book is dealing with Joseph. And so, this is this is intentionally, I think, put here as a contrast to Joseph, who in the next chapter is going to refuse to be sexually immoral, mm, yeah. um, whereas Judah yeah. does not does not refuse that, and so we're, so we see that that stark contrast between Joseph and his faithfulness and Judah and his unfaithfulness.
0: I was going to ask a question around, you know, normally we, we just have to preach a text like this because we're expositors working our way through a book, but some of us choose to do it in a Christmas series. So (laughs) that, that really wasn't going to fit perfectly well. Um, But we know, I mean, part of the reason we're jumping into this, all scripture is profitable and is
1: useful for
0: reproof, for training, instruction, and righteousness. So, uh, both of you guys, uh, ha- yeah, Josh, talk talk to us about kind of wh- you know ha- how you approach this text. John, I'll hear the same from you.
2: Yeah, but it, it's an interesting point you make about needing to preach it. I, I do remember having guests there this week, and a few months later, one of those guests, they actually end up joining the church, and I was talking to him, and one of the things he said was, this was the first Sunday we showed up, and we were basically like, if this church will preach this chapter... And yeah. will show me how to grow in my relationship to Christ through it. Then this is the, this is the church I want to be at. So, yeah. um, though I would never, if I had really thought about it, thought like this is a terrible passage for guests to hear. It actually wasn't. It it they they saw right. Jesus, they saw His yeah. grace, and they also saw our confidence that anywhere in Scripture um, can be taught for their for their good and for their growth. So it ended up yeah. being what they said was uh, sort of a compelling factor for them being part of the church. Did y'all both,
0: when you preach this, did you preach it as one, like that, just that chapter as one sermon and was it mixed in with the Joseph story? How did y'all approach that as far as just the layout of your sermon?
1: I, I just did it in one, but put it, I'd put it in the context of the Joseph story, but I will just say to Josh's point, I I mean, I, I preached Jose and Gomer for an Easter sermon. <laughs> um, and so I do think, I do think there's something to. Preaching messy texts in a messy, broken world and showing redemption. Yeah, it's good.
2: Yeah, I preached it as part of this Advent series. So it was the second sermon in the series. The first one, I actually looked at Matthew 1. So what the genealogy as a whole, what, what Matthew was doing there, how it presented Christ as the Messianic King. And so I set it up that way. Um, and then this was the first in the next, the series of the women in that genealogy. That would be a good book. Uh,
0: the, the, the women in the genealogy, that'd be a good book. You we'll should think about that. that.
2: Okay. Yeah. I like that. All right,
0: so, all right. So give me, John, the main points of your sermon. And and then um, from there, we'll go to uh, how, how did you point it to Christ? But give us the main main points of the text.
1: Well, let me say, I I only the only point I had was the redemption point, point. and so I only had one point, and so so most of it was uh, was spent trying to point it to Christ, and so I'm happy to give that now, or you can have Josh's main points, and then well,
0: come jo- back Yeah, Josh, the Christ jump Christ in part. first, sure. and then we'll come back to that. So
2: I my sort of two main points were serious sin and shocking grace, and so under serious hmm. sin, I I walked through Judah's story, um, both in Genesis 37 and 38, so it just showed how it's this downward cycle of sin, right? Kidnapping um, with Joseph, rebellion in marrying the Canaanite woman, immorality um, here with uh, with Tamar when he didn't know who it was, then even his idolatry at the end of that as part of sort of pagan worship and, and some of the markers of sort of uh, idolatry there. So just making the case that this is a shocking, I mean, the this, this sin is just serious and it's I mean, it's obviously there, but this this sort of path of sin. And then the shocking grace was just a few things. One, God chooses to use sinners. And so we see that not only in Tamar, but also in Judah himself, that he's the one who God ends up choosing uh, for the line of the Messiah. That faith, not effort, produces righteousness. And that's where I looked at that question of her being called more righteous than him. And then ultimately, as difficulty can be part of God's kindness, um, is that in this God keeps using difficulty, difficult circumstances in Judah's life to actually um, draw him to Himself, and so that that was the way I broke up the text.
0: John, I want I want you to hit on the redemption piece, but before that, can you just hit some of those tricky spots? So the 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 fact that he wants to burn her, that even and then Josh, I'll come back to you on the the righteous piece. He says she's more righteous than I, verse twenty six. So. Just address a couple of those tougher spots, um, if you can.
1: Yeah, well, I'd say so. One, I mean, there there is precedent in the Old Testament. Obviously, the law has not been given yet, but there's precedent in the Old Testament for adultery to be a capital offense. Um, now, in this case specifically, it's not necessarily adultery because she's not married um, at a, at at present. But that there is, but I think the burning aspect of it. Um, I mean I would just it's clear that the patriarchs are are wrestling throughout with forsaking old old lines and old ways of of faith you see this with Jacob and Rachel and and Rachel hiding the household gods of her father and, and these kinds of things and so it's clear that they're wrestling with paganism and idolatry so they're not they're not perfect beings they're not perfectly faithful they're sinners just like us uh the the it, what needs to characterize them as the faith of their father, Abraham. um, And that's what would count somebody as righteous. Um, And the other thing is, the the more righteous than I, I mean, I already touched on, one, this could just be a descriptive statement. And so it's not necessarily that the author, that Moses is saying, man, she was a righteous woman in what she did. However, I will say this, and this is tricky given current culture and so forth, but it's it's clear from Genesis chapter one that the first command God blessed them, and he he said be fruitful and multiply, okay, and that that Eve is the mother of all living. That that one of the uh, key things that women were um, you know created to do was to continue the the human race by marrying, getting pregnant, and having children, and she desires she desires that and is being denied it um by her father-in-law who in the, in a patriarchal society i mean she's she's beholden to and so and so she is trying to do what god has in, in some ways if you want to put it this way god she's trying to do what god has has called her to do. she's not doing it in maybe the most faithful way the most uh pure way possible but she's she's trying to be fruitful and multiply um, and so because of that, she she in the same way, it's not exactly parallel to like Rahab um, hiding in the spies and lying about it. Uh, but but there's there, there are similarities there to where in a broken, fallen world that that sometimes there is sin that that is more grievous than other sins. And I think her sin is lesser than his. I mean, I would, I would just say it that way. I'd be interested to hear Josh's take on it.
2: Well, I think a lot of it comes down to the words used in verse nine, where it talks about um, it uses the word seed and ground, the same words used in Genesis seventeen eight, where God says that he's going to give Abraham's seed the ground, or the land. And so you have you have the land here is destroying the seed. That was so. This is the perversion of God's promise. So I I think we're supposed to understand this story, certainly the context in Genesis, but the 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 terminology of this chapter as part of this ongoing Genesis three, the seed of the woman that's going to rescue humanity and deliver them from the curse on the ground. Um, that we're supposed to see this as a battle. Like you have you have Onan and you have um and you have Judah ultimate at this point. Who are attempting to um, satanically attempting to stop the promises of God by destroying the seed on the ground, and you have Judah or Tamar as the only one who's trying to preserve that. And so, I think that's why that's why she's commended here. There's some question John might John's definitely more of a Hebrew scholar than I am that the word righteous here. It certainly includes elements of faithfulness, and maybe that's even a better translation is faithful. So who in this passage demonstrates faith? Um, and of course, faith and righteousness in the Old Testament tie together so tightly anyway, but who who's the only one who seems to be working based upon the promises of God, whether that promise is the leveret marriage promise or ultimately the promise of Genesis 3. Tamar is the only one attempting to to preserve That promise, the only who seems to be, if you will, aligning herself with God's promises, where Judah and his sons are aligning themselves against it, and so I think Mm -hmm. I think that's why she's listed in here along with, like John said, um, Rahab and Ruth. You know these these women from Hebrew midwives, yeah, Hebrew midwives. these, These women who are are forced in a situation to try to be as faithful as possible to the promises of God when they're in these situations that are uh, unimaginably difficult.
0: Mm.
2: Good stuff. John, get Tell us how you, you
0: pointed to Christ and then we'll wrap up with some application.
1: Yeah, there's multiple ways. I mean, w- one is, is all the stuff that Josh just walked you through. And I, and I'm sure he was since he was doing this in that Matthew one series this, this, the offspring promise from Genesis three. I mean, when I, when I was talking about Genesis one, be fruitful and multiply Genesis three is carrying that on the Genesis 12, Genesis 17 and so forth. This is just being carried on, um, you know, generation after generation. And so the, so one major one is going to be that God is faithful to his promise that that the offspring of the woman's going to crush the head of the serpent. Hmm. And, and he, and he does that through childbirth. And so now we, we see that line, uh, going on here. Second way that I, uh, preached Christ was that contrast between uh, Joseph and Judah. And so the, um, we see Joseph's faithfulness. There's a great sermon that D.A. Carson's done on Joseph that points it, this out. Joseph's faithfulness um, is, is what God uses to preserve the seed, to preserve the offspring so the Messiah will come. He doesn't defile himself with Potiphar's wife. Um, and that's so that's because of his faithfulness that the promises are moving forward. Here, the promises are moving forward despite uh, Judah's unfaithfulness. Um, and so, I, so that contrast between Jesus being the faithful Judite, whereas Judah was unfaithful, um, was the next one. A- another one I think that I that I use um, whenever I preach on Judah is just the the story of redemption. Okay, and Josh pointed out in, in a great way. Just we see the decline of Judah mm-hmm. um, from you know selling his brother and and marrying a Canaanite woman, and then what he does here. By the end of the story, he's offering his life in the place of his brother, um, and so we see Judah. You know, obviously Jesus is the as the the lion from the tribe of Judah who's going to give his life um, for the world but Judah is offering that um, at the end. And then the last thing that I, that I was talked about now it's kind of in that section of redemption is just that. Um, and we'll talk more about this in application is just how, how God redeems broken situations and brings good out of them. So he, he brings life out of death.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Josh uh, application. How did you make this clear once you pointed to Christ? Uh,
2: there, there, were a number of sort of direct ones, uh, the graciousness of God being our only hope. We see that in his choice of Judah. Um, we understand that he's chosen us in spite of our our sin. And so even feelings of worthlessness and shame can be covered by his grace. Um, faith, The faith of Tamar, um, that's what produced righteousness, not her effort. And we see the same thing, what pleases God is faith. And even isn't it's another practical application from Judah's life is so many of his bad decisions seem to be influenced by Canaanites. And like this is part of the reason that God, you know, called his people to be distinct. Um, and so that the necessity of a life that is distinct from the world around us, um, you just mm-hmm. see constantly he's got this Canaanite friend who is involved in every bad decision. Um, well, this is part of the reason why God gave the commands he gave um, to separate from them. In many ways, Judah's early story is similar to Lot's where he just continues to be sort of in, influenced by the the culture around him to walk in disobedience to God. So so just examining the influences in our life.
1: Mm. John, any final comments on application? Yeah. So one, I had not noticed it, and I didn't have this in my message, and I've not noticed until just now, but Josh's point about the similarities to Lot who also sleeps with his daughters? No, not he sleeps with his daughter-in-law, but and it brings about offspring. Um, and so there's there's a lot of parallels there. Actually, um, just two points of application. I think I went after strong after sexual immorality mm-hmm. versus sexual purity, and then and then and then I the the last application is that that despite your brokenness, God can still redeem and use you. And that's true, both in terms of sin, you, sins you have committed, Judah, and sins that have been committed against you, Tamar.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so, so just talk about God redeems brokenness, and then can use redeemed vessels in the future.
0: Mm. Good stuff. Before we sign off, Josh, you went to a Christian school like like we did in high school, right? Absolutely. So <laughs> among the immature teenage boys, was Genesis 38,
2: 9 one of the favorite yearbook sign-offs? <laughs> Genesis 38, nine. I can't remember the reference, but was the reference, um, of, uh, the other one was about, I'm going to use the King James. So don't, don't send emails. It's <laughs> saying pisseth against the wall. That was the other one. <laughs> I don't remember the reference anymore, but yes, those were often yeah. signed in yearbooks shows our spiritual maturity. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I remember Yeah, putting
0: that in people's yearbooks. Um, uh, Yeah. So now we've given some people something much better to take away from Genesis 38. Uh, So next time you read it, Genesis 38, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, We uh, thank you guys for weighing in. Uh, Next week, we're going to continue our series on tough passages in the Old Testament. We're going to look at uh, the story of Elisha and the bears as he sends a bear after a bunch of teenagers. If you're not familiar with the story, 2 Kings 2, uh, look at it, read it, and then join us next week on the Christ Center and Clear podcast. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, Please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com and please visit us at com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of scripture.